Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Folland. Welcome to the final episode of this season. And it's sponsored by Pensionbee, the flexible pension for the self-employed. They make it easy to contribute as much or as little as you like, as often as you like. Get set up in minutes and then get back to business. And if you've got existing pensions, it's easy to bring them together. Start saving for a future beyond being freelance. Download the app or head to pensionbee.com. Pension B is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. With investments, your capital is at risk. But right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance for writer Nick Parker. I got a friend of mine who has worked himself for a long time. I remember him saying to me, "You think now that your big worry is where the work is going to come from? You'll have hundreds of worries in the years to come. One thing you will never worry about is where the work comes from. The work always comes." And he's been absolutely right. When you sit down at your desk at nine o'clock in the morning, the thing you wrote down on the top of your to-do list might not be the thing you fancy doing. And I've learned over the years that I should give in to that. And if something else takes my fancy, to follow it. My thing when I started working for myself was that I didn't want to grow an agency. I didn't want to scale. I'd had enough of being in HR meetings and managing large teams of people, and I sort of wanted it largely just to be me and the work. But at the same time, you know, just because I didn't want to scale in terms of people didn't mean to say I didn't want to make more money. Yeah, so there is Nick, the final guest for this season. Thank you very much to everybody who has spoken to me. There's been so many good stories. If you haven't heard them all, please do go back and listen. And remember, it doesn't matter what they do. You know, as in Nick's a writer last week, Fungi was a designer. It's all about the being freelancer. Please do check them out. Um, they're all wherever you got this one or at beingfreelance.com. Being Freelance returns for another season in September. I'll still be hanging out in the Being Freelance community though. So do come and say hi. You can click on the link at beingfreelance.com. And if you're new to freelancing and you feel like you could really do with a helping hand, then do check out the course. There's a 30 day money back guarantee you can work through it at your own pace even if you're full-time employed you can do it on the side as you commute as you find a bit of time here and there in the evenings or at the weekend it's short little video lessons of everything that i could think of that you need to know about when you start freelancing so yeah check it out the course is at beingfreelance.com all right let's crack on it's one heck of a story we're off to a village west of reading in the south of england to chat to freelance writer nick parker hey nick hello as ever how about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance Gosh, so the potted version is I worked in magazines and magazine publishing for a long time. I'm, I'm sort of, to my great astonishment, I'm now 49 years old. <laughs> I can't <laughs> quite work out how that's happened. I mean, obviously, I know how it's happened. Um, so about, about a decade working in publishing, and then uh, I moved from publishing to a creative agency. So that was a big shift for me from a kind of you know, literary and publishing world to that idea of, you know, there are clients and there are agencies and I'm working with big corporates. And then about six or seven years ago, the little agency I joined had become a big agency that I was sort of one of the leadership team and responsible for running. And I sort of realized that wasn't my thing. I was a practitioner. I wanted to get back to writing and doing the work. So I left and set on my own thing. And it's just pretty much been me for about the past six or seven years. So before you decided to leave and go out on your own, 
did you prepare in any way or did you just um you know how did you get your first clients <laughs> that's a really good question um no i didn't prepare at all and i didn't realize i'd always sort of had this um desire to work for myself it was sort of one of this vague sort of bucket list but i'd got two little kids and we were just about to move house and so i wasn't specifically thinking now is going to be the time and there's just this opportunity came up um there was a bit of a restructure at work and i was like oh, i sort of don't want to do that next thing and then i found myself going so i think i'm leaving <laughs> so i'd made i'd had i'd no preparation for it hadn't really thought about what was going to happen it wasn't really a good time to be doing it and within the space of a week i'd gone from having a full-time fairly senior position in this agency to standing there thinking right what shall i do <laughs> <laughs> I'd left this agency. I couldn't take any client contacts with my own thing. I had literally nothing. So found myself, which was what at the time was Reading's only co-working space, which is this horrible corporate sort of floor of this office block in some out-of-town business park. <laughs> Thinking, what on earth am I doing here? And so, yeah, I had to start pretty much from scratch. I felt I got my first job from a friend who was also a freelance writer who had too much work on and passed me this job and they became a, you know, that job turned into a, a client I had for several years. I got a friend of mine who has worked for himself for a long time, who's sort of my working for yourself mentor when I started. Mm. <laughs> I remember him saying to me, like, you'll, you think now that your big worry is where the work is going to come from. He said, you'll have hundreds of worries in the years to come. One thing you will never worry about is where the work comes from. The work always comes. And he's been absolutely right. Nice. But beyond that first referral, I guess, how did that work find you if you weren't finding it? So working at an agency, although I couldn't take any clients with me, you know, over the years, I'd, you know, I'd got contacts and a number of people have worked at that agency and set up their own things. And so there was a, a sort of network of, of people I could call and go, so I'm around if you have anything. And that interesting thing of the work rarely comes from the people you think it's going to come from. It comes from, you know, friends of friends or the weak ties, connections of connections. So that sort of put the word out there. It didn't really get me any direct work, but it did start to get things trickling in. like, And it's all sort of patched together. So that thing of working for, taking on a job that um, a friend couldn't do. Then I remember I did some work for an Israeli tech startup over Christmas. Obviously, um, they weren't stopping for Christmas. Nobody else wanted to do it because everyone else that they'd contacted wanted to have Christmas off. So I was like, fine, I'll do that. <laughs> and so just sort of hustled it together like that. I started writing blogs and just trying to get my you know the word out there yeah and just a sort of bit of a hodgepodge to get going i think you said when you went self-employed that you wanted to get back to doing the actual work but what was the work what is the work i sort of specialize in what's called tone of voice so you know writing for brands and businesses helping them find the right voice and the right style of writing for their brand and then that usually branches out into a mix of you know, so there's a bit of consultancy and a bit of strategy around that. And then there's just some, okay, so now we've decided what we're going to sound like. Let's just write some stuff, like websites or marketing or, you know, whatever it is. And then there's um, a bit of usually a chunk of my work, which is also running workshops, taking that, you know, what we've developed together and teaching other people to do it. So tone of voice uh, I like because it moves up into a more strategic, more senior people 
Mm. And then from that comes writing and you know naming and all the other bits of stuff. But it makes it more about brand and more about strategy and less just about being a sort of pen for hire. So, like, did you call yourself a freelance tone of voice expert? Or because because I noticed that today you have a company, as in that explains things. That's what it's called, right? Yeah. It's a constantly evolving thing. There's a basic thing of, in fact, when I started, my accountant advised me to set up as a partnership. Um, and I was called Three Pencils because I thought that sounded nice. Then I went off it. Then it transpired that my accountant had only recommended me being working as a partnership because she wasn't qualified to um, do limited companies. <laughs> so, um, you know, you live and learn, don't you? Um, <laughs> Anyway, so then I became a limited company called myself That Explains Things and a bit of that was to give it the status of not just me and it's a slightly bigger thing. And the name came because I sort of think of explaining things as being like a bit of an art form. I think more more businesses would be better served if they stopped thinking about selling and persuading and just really committed to explaining themselves really clearly. Um, so that again was giving me, a, you know, a slightly different positioning, and that sort of draws people who are interested in that and puts off people who think it's ridiculous. So you've obviously pitching yourself as a a more strategic type part in in the sort of business yes. mind. Yeah. Did you do anything else to sort of? I mean, obviously you had a lot of experience, but did you do anything to sort of build that authority in quotation marks in people's minds? I wrote. A bunch of blogs, which I put on my website and then out on LinkedIn. I mean, not loads, probably like 10 in the Mm. early days. And was quite strategic about what subjects I picked off. In the back of my mind was, you know, it doesn't really matter if not many people read these, as long as the right people read them. Mm. Um, And then to my enormously satisfying, one of the things I wrote on LinkedIn, which was about... So if you were like to brands and tone of voice, like the brand that everyone always thinks of first is Innocent Drinks. You know, they have a really chatty, quirky voice. They were one of the very first brands to do it. And they're brilliant at it. But what it did create was a load of copycat brands like, you know, this whole wackaging, all your Chris Packets talking to you like they're your best friend. And, like every, you know, everything is sort of chirpy and making gags and it can be incredibly tiresome. And loads of brands used to copy that. And then there was this point just as I was setting up by myself where I realized that the default voice had stopped being innocent drinks and had become like the artisan voice, you know, the kind of small batched hand foraged sunlight filtered, all of that stuff. And you were suddenly seeing, you know, and some companies that's genuinely what they do. You know, they're small batch regenerative olive farmers. So, you know, that of course you're going to talk about that stuff. Um, but, you know, when I remember there was this moment. So this is what triggered it. Actually, I, I was in Costa Coffee and there was a sign on the wall in Costa Coffee that said, Aberistas don't just make your coffee. They handcraft it. I thought, bollocks, do they? Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's just not true, is it? And that's like a big brand, not really knowing what it's about and just copying this voice. And so that I wrote about that and that went viral on LinkedIn. And there was a particularly satisfying day where about four or five people just said, oh, I read your thing. And somebody said, oh, I was in an office and somebody mentioned it in a meeting. And then when we went out of the meeting, somebody else was reading on a computer in the lobby. I was like, this is amazing. Um, and that from that one blog came a big bit of work 
that you know were then recommending me to someone else, and I can probably trace it all back. This is a very long winded wow. answer to your question. I trace a lot of it back to that one blog. No, that's great though. Which is also a, a diss to the whole productivity movement, is because <laughs> the only reason I wrote that blog is because I was putting off doing another bit of work that I didn't want to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's funny, because well, I did read on your website that you refer to yourself as a high performing procrastinator. That's very true, yes. So, do, do you struggle to, to sort of stay on top of what the hell you're actually meant to be doing? So I'm, you know, I'm Steve, if any of my clients are listening, I'm a consummate professional. You know, I never miss a deadline. I'm always on top of that stuff, all of that. But at the same time, when you sit down at your desk at nine o'clock in the morning, uh, the thing you wrote down on the top of your to-do list might not be the thing you fancy doing. And I've learned over the years that I should give in to that. And if something else takes my fancy to follow it, because that might be time better spent. And indeed, like that, it really was. And instead of weirdly, the other thing I've, you've seen on my website, I make these cards called the Get the Fuck On With It cards. They're, yes. Which, yes. My, that's my productivity system. <laughs> if you ever feel like you're stuck or not getting knuckling down to something, uh, draw a card out of the pack and it'll tell you what to do. Because every card <laughs> says Get the Fuck On With It. <laughs> yeah, I love those cards. I do a freelancer gift guide. I'm going to have to add those cards to that, I think. Ah, amazing. It's amazing. interesting, though. You have all of these things going on. You have a shop on your website, but not as your company name. But I noticed that you put yourself out online as Nick Parker. And then under nickparker.co.uk, you'll find your company and this project and that project and this project. It's, it's an interesting sort of universe of things. And I'm sure, I mean, there must be lots of freelancers listening to this who are constantly going through that thing of like, do I call my business by my name? Or do I have a <laughs> like a brand name, you know, and there are pros and cons to both of those. And I'm constantly swinging. And I just last year, I shifted from the website being that explains things to the website being nickparker.co.uk. And a big part of that was because I realized I was having more of these side projects, like, you know, I've written this book and made these cards and I write a couple of newsletters. And then there's this product voice box that I make. Um, and, you know, and how do they all fit together? And really the only common denominator is me. And I'm getting to a point now where it, I'd much, you know, I like it that when people come to the site to find out about my copywriting and tone of voice work that they also see uh, on reading and they also see the stupid cards and they like they see the whole batch of stuff. And I wanted somewhere where, I, you know, if I start a new project, I can stick it up and it comes part of that thing. And so one of those things is a book. Yes, I wrote a book probably about 18 months ago called On Reading. That came from one of the newsletters somebody had tweeted i'm feeling stuck with my reading how can i you know how do i get myself unstuck and by the time i'd hit sort of reply for the seventh or eighth time i realized i had lots of thoughts on this ah. um, so i mentioned this in my, one of my newsletters and then loads of people wrote back with either their own thoughts about how you get unstuck for from reading so i just suddenly had realized i had loads of really, really interesting things to say and um there was a book in it so I wrote it and uh, self-published it, stuck it on the website. And that I just really like that. One of the brilliant freedoms of working for yourself is like, right, I'm going to spend a couple of weeks focusing on that for a bit, and then I'm going to make it, I'm going to put it out in the world, and I have a newsletter of people, so some people will buy it. You know, It's not exactly going to be a bestseller, but it's a very satisfying way to mm. move through the world, I think. So what are these newsletters? I do two. I do one called The Notices, which is 
just like a sort of random bag of things what I have noticed. <laughs> and it's the sort of, you know, there's a sort of bias towards creativity and uh, language and, you know, living well and that stuff. But it's really just random. And I've been writing that for years and years, and that has a fairly steady readership because, it, it, you know, it's, only people who are interested in what might be inside my head are interested in that. Uh, and then the second one is called Tone Knob. And it is about tone of voice. And I've been writing that about nine months. And that every issue of that, I take one brand who does something really interesting with their language and dissect it. Like talk about what it is, why it works, why I think it's interesting, share examples. And it's sort of like like a sort of close reading would be the academic way of putting it. Like a, a sort of written down reaction video would be the YouTube vibe. Um, and that's been like much to my sort of great pleasure and surprise. That is going really well. And it's on Substack and it was, it became a sort of Substack featured title a few months ago. And like the readership is steadily ticking up around sort of 3000 now, I think, which is just fantastic. I mean, cause you know, tone of voice is a pretty niche subject. Yeah, and that's been really lovely to have all these sort of outlets for doing stuff. And again, just that, well, I'm going to spend today writing a newsletter. Yeah, it's a niche subject, but crucially, it's your subject that you're specialising in. Yeah, yeah. So have you noticed that it has brought you any work or maybe just attention? Like, how's it playing out for you? It brings both, actually. It brings a steady stream of um, sort of inquiries that aren't quite right for me. Because like, like suddenly people go, oh, that's what I want. I want tone of voice, and they'll send me an email, and they might, you know, they might not have any budget, or they might have a really tight deadline. But then I can sort of pass those on to other copywriters or other people, and then it has brought me a couple of interesting jobs and clients. Um, the two most rewarding things it brings me is I do this thing called unoffice hours every Friday. Uh, between one and two, I have two half-hour slots where literally anyone can book a meeting and just talk to me about anything, which is a nice way of sort of inviting randomness into, you know, the sort of life of mm. sitting by yourself in front of a computer. And uh, quite a few of those people come from the newsletter. They've read something which interests them and they want to talk about it. So it's it's been brilliant for that. And the thing that is most satisfying is it really pushes my thinking. Like, I almost started it thinking, well, I've been doing this tone of voice malarkey for a few years now. Let's just get it all out of my head, like give it all away. And of course, the exact opposite has happened: is that every time I sit down to write, I end up thinking new things, <laughs> and having new opinions and thoughts, uh, which has been just sort of brilliant. You know, it's just sort of you know, sort of push my craft and push my thinking about tone of voice more. Yeah, it's like I honestly, it's been like just talking about it. It's been a super a great joy actually, because it's enriching in loads of ways. Obviously, I would sort of cringe at the idea in the sort of LinkedIn language, I am a thought leader. But that's basically what it is. Like, I've become known as the guy who has things to say about tone of voice, which is just hugely satisfying. Very much enjoying chatting to Nick. Back with him in a moment. I just want to say thank you to Ahrefs for sponsoring this episode, but also to urge you to check them out if you want to work on the SEO for your website their webmaster tools are free so you type in your url 
it gives you a website audit that then helps you prioritize optimization opportunities on your site. So you'll see which keywords your pages are ranking for, you'll understand how Google sees your content, discover what changes you can make to get yourself seen. Imagine what that could do for your freelance business. It doesn't need to be confusing. They have tutorials. They have little explainer things. If, like me, you don't understand anything about SEO. So go to hrefs.com slash A-W-T. Hrefs is spelled A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. Type in your URL and get to work on your SEO so that your SEO can get to work for you. Hey, they should make that a tagline. That wasn't bad, actually. <laughs> I like the way I come up with that on the last episode of the season. But still, check it out. And thank you very much to Atrefs for supporting this podcast. I really do appreciate it. Okay, back to Nick. Another one of your products that you mentioned earlier was Voicebox. Can you explain yes. what that is and how it came about? And for that matter, whether it works. I don't mean for the clients. I mean for you as a business. Yeah, it's a, I, so that's a really interesting bit of the business. So uh, where that came from... My thing when I left and started working for myself was that I didn't want to grow an agency. I didn't want to scale. I'd had enough of being in HR meetings and managing large teams of people. And I sort of wanted it largely just to be me and the work. Um, but at the same time, you know, just because I didn't want to scale in terms of people didn't mean to say I didn't want to make more money. So uh, I made this product called Voicebox, which is essentially a method for working with a brand to define their tone of voice and it's the whole sort of life cycle of that of how do you plan for that how do you run the workshops how do you think about tone of voice you know then how to write in the different voices and the different styles how to create guidelines so literally like basically like here's how to do my job but do it for yourself and I created that thinking that the main people who would buy it would be startups small brands or businesses who wanted to do their tone of voice project in-house in practice the main audience for it has been other freelance copywriters or small agencies who sort of want you know another tool in their toolbox which is you know that has been great so again that's like it's been brilliant it gives me sort of credibility and a great calling card it works brilliantly as marketing and Probably, so you know, it's quite a punchy price. It's seven hundred quid, and then if you buy it with me, sort of holding your hand through the process, it's now two thousand five hundred, which is like fantastic. Um, I've not sold any of those since I put the price up, <laughs> um, <laughs> and that you know that's probably like probably fifteen twenty percent of my revenue. Ah, and so obviously now writing tone knob. I now have an audience of people who are interested in tone of voice. So one of the things I'll be doing um, in the coming months is sort of refreshing it all again. Like Voicebox, was delib I deliberately designed it very analog. Um, it comes in a box. It's got games you play with cards. You know, there's um, little sort of leaflets and handouts, and it's very tactile. And it's deliberately about, you know, getting a group of people around a table to talk this out and write things on the walls. And because of that, for me is part of the process of figuring out writing and you know i put a lot of effort into the design of it to make it a sort of quality object 
Mm. This is all part of this vibe of just taking the writing more seriously, Uh, which has been great. I I partly realised I've sort of modelled it on my teenage Dungeons and Dragons years. Literally, (laughs) the only thing it doesn't have is weird shaped dice. But you know that thing of you get the box, so you get all the bits out, and it's like really satisfying. But obviously, through lockdown and the pandemic, uh, loads of people wanted to use it online, so I sort of cobbled together a set of digital assets and tools i think it's probably about time i made those much slicker and made the whole thing much more digital you mentioned the price point which does also i think give a clue as to you know if i'm looking at your site i think okay well if that's how much that costs maybe that's telling me something about what it might cost to hire nick do you you find that kind of works to your benefit yeah very much so because you're exactly right you know people look at it and they go okay so if i'm going to pay that much to do it for myself it's probably going to be more to get Nick to do it for me. Have you had situations where people have come to want to work with you, then can't afford you, but then bought the product? Yes, that's happened a couple of times. Less often than I thought it would. And now I also have a network of, obviously, of Voicebox customers. And so it's quite often if people come to me and they only have you know a couple of grand to spend, uh, but they want a sort of full project I can also pass them on to other Voicebox users. So, they're, you know, I don't exactly, I can't endorse them, but that's a pretty good recommendation that they're using my method. Mm. Um, so, it's, you know, I'm sure if I, was, if I was more commercially savvy, I'd have turned that into a whole model of affiliates. Um, <laughs> but, but I haven't. <laughs> um, maybe that's a good point then to talk about. How have you found the business side of things? For a start off, like in terms of pricing and things, did your time at the agency give you a good starting point? Yeah. So I had a very basic starting point of, you know, I knew what the agency was charging for writing. So I knew that I could charge the same, basically. You know, you're coming direct to me. So on the one hand, it's cheaper because you don't have layers of project management and you're not paying you know, agency prices, so you'd expect it to be cheaper, but also, you know, you're getting me, you're getting essentially the former creative director, strategy partner for the price that you would get a junior writer at an agency. So, I mean, you know, to talk about the numbers, like we were charging then seven or eight years ago, uh, £800 a day for a junior writer, which is like, you know, fairly standard corporate fee. So I sort of knew I could start by charging £800 a day and that'd be entirely fair and reasonable for everybody which is like a massive confidence boost. If I'd have started freelancing a few years before that, I would have, there's no way I would have been mm. you know, starting at that point. I'd have been much lower there. That said, though, do you charge by the day or do you charge by a project sort of thing? It's the, it's the ongoing debate, isn't it? Yeah, project for your day rate. I still use day rate, but it's more because more of the work is strategic, it's, it's sort of a proxy. You know, I sort of round it up to a rough amount of days. There's just something about talking about it in days seems to work better for the clients that I have. Hmm. Um, But in my head, it's always it's always projects. I'm always thinking in terms of projects, but I also need to roughly map out how long they might take. And then also, you know, a a day becomes a sort of unit of thought. And, you know, the clients aren't going to ask for timesheets. And I'm always going to be respectful about, you know, well, you know, it took some thinking and, you know, a flash of inspiration might take half an hour. It didn't really take a day, but sometimes it goes the other way, doesn't it? And you, know, you have to grind it out for days. <laughs> we think, I, you know, I thought this would take no time at all. <laughs> um, 
but yeah so i still talk and talk and charge in terms of days but you know it's a sort of mishmash of thinking in terms of projects and yeah how do you sort of manage your (laughs) your time because it sounds like you have quite a bit of stuff going on yeah how do i manage the time so probably a good place to start so the the interesting thing about you know being on the being freelance podcast is i don't think of myself as freelance um even though it is just me and what i really am is you know is just me working independently so i could call that freelance an unlocking moment for me was paul jarvis's book company of one Mm. and i suddenly thought oh that is what i am i'm a company of one so very early on I set myself these targets of, you know, when I'm turning over this much money a month, I'm going to hire a bookkeeper. When I'm turning over this much money, I'm going to hire an assistant. And so I thought about it. I structured it from the start like I was running a business and it just so happened that I was playing all of the employee roles. So I sort of outsourced a lot of things. So to answer your question, I make that part of it. So I'm, you know, my assistant will track things by days She'll organize my diary and treat me like the resource. So I have this sort of process of, you know, working things out, planning everything into the calendar. You know, I know the time I'm going to take every week to write the newsletter. And it's like it's very structured and organized, given also, you know, the aforementioned comment about me being a terrible procrastinator. (laughs) So I build in a, a lot of margin for error. So your assistant is planning out your diary so she's virtual assistants she books all the client meetings so that gives a shape to the week and there are slots where you know it's like every monday and every wednesday morning i try and group as many meetings into there as possible so i always see the inquiries come in and you know inevitably she'll ask me and we'll have a bit of a conversation about it but it stops me just going yes to a client sticking it in the diary and screwing up my own schedule (laughs) <laughs> it's brilliant having somebody else going, I notice you you haven't got anything else on Tuesday, Nick, so I'm going to keep Tuesday free for you for other stuff. And I'm like, this is brilliant. You know, whereas if I, a client had asked me, can you do it Tuesday? I'd have gone, oh, yeah, it's fine. Um, ah. So it's like the sort of checks and balances in a way of S- on the one saving hand, you from process. yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that is the whole structure, actually. Like, God, don't get me to do the VAT return. That would be an absolute nightmare. You know, some. <laughs> somebody else needs to do that somebody else needs to book the meetings somebody else needs to chase the invoices because otherwise i take that stuff you know I'd, I'd commit too much time to it and i wouldn't take the creative time seriously and that is always the challenge of mm. creative business isn't it it's like you know if a bit of thinking if i need to do a bit of thinking about a job or i'm naming a product or something the temptation to go oh well that will only take half an hour so i'll only give it half an hour you know whereas what it needs is it will only take half an hour but you're going to need a half day run up at it <laughs> uh, so yeah so having somebody else saving for myself that is a very good way of putting it but i love that you so you've that whole seeing yourself as a company of one was quite a moment yeah that's just really helped me I'm constantly going so what do what would a company have how would a company deal with this you know and i might not need the whole policy or procedure but how do i make it slightly outside of me part of that book as well is about um sort of creating your own level of what success is and, yeah. and how you'll sort of choose to spend the time perhaps when you're not working. How how have you sort of figured that bit out for yourself? So I'm aware, like, that as we've been talking, it sounds like I've got a load of things sorted. Like, 
it's been quite a shitstorm <laughs> along the way. <laughs> you know, I've learned some of these things through trial and error. So that really ebbs and flows. Like there have been times where I've been massively too busy and I've just been working all hours and there's been times where I've got that better. Like broadly speaking, the vibe for me is that uh, the stuff I just really like doing outside of work is often remarkably close to my work, you know, making stupid cards, writing books. I mean, so there's a sort of artist and illustration bit of what I do as well, which I, isn't on the website, but is like constant bit of my life. So, you know, sitting at a desk mucking around in my shed is sort of how I love to spend my time anyway. So a, a part of it over the last couple of years has just been has been taking that seriously and bringing more of that in into what I do day to day. So to treat a day writing a book as seriously as a day doing paid client work and it's all just my work in my studio. I've started calling it studio, not an agency because, again, that feels like the studio is a place. I'm going into the studio. I'm going to write today. It just so happens that what I'm writing is my book. It's not a paid piece of client work. Mm. And now, you know, I sort of try and keep the healthy habits now of, you know, no email on my personal phone, try and log off at six, no work at the weekends. That takes constant shoring up, doesn't it? You know, and I'm in a lucky position of charging higher rates so I don't have to work nine to five monday to friday on paid client work just to make enough money to survive you know which is you know a huge weight off you know to break that cycle of constantly needing to be doing paid work all the time Mm. but some of that time is spent firming up the fact that you're worth that high rate in the first place yeah and in fact, so hit the, <laughs> when you asked about the money, the thing I meant to say was, so the game I played when I very first started with myself, and I made it a game because it made me feel better about it, is every new client I got, I just put my price up. <laughs> and I didn't allow myself to have any opinion about that. It's just, that's what I did. And uh, it was astonishing that it worked. <laughs> Now I find it really interesting when I talk to other freelancers and they say, you know, well, my usual day, my day rate is £300 a day. I'm like, why have you got a day rate? Like, every new client is an opportunity to start from scratch. You know, you might be some clients you have double the day rate of the ones you have with other clients. Like, it can be, it's just whatever you want it to be. Coupled with, (laughs) I met a guy who said, unless I'm getting turned down by two thirds of my inquiries for being too expensive, I know I haven't got my pricing right. No. which is pretty ballsy um, <laughs> and there is no way i ever get near that but like that i found that quite okay so you know it's fine like if people go no that's too expensive i, I don't need to feel bad about that uh, which is like you know i'm that is not my normal personality at all i'm not a sort of like hard-nosed negotiator in anything i do but it did give me some freedom to go okay like don't be embarrassed about the money i love that now nick i always do this thing where i ask for three facts about yourself to make two true one a lie and let me figure out the lie what do you have for me okay fact number one i was the first person in the uk to be sacked for email misconduct <laughs> number two even though i've been a professional writer for 25 years i still struggle with anything more than nouns verbs and adjectives three i once ran a workshop on handling disappointment but was delayed and arrived two hours late the attendees thought this was deliberate and brilliant (laughs) 
Oh, God. Um, okay. You were the first person to get sacked for email misuse. Yes. What on earth did you do? <laughs> so, um, I worked in a bookshop. I worked in Waterstones, my very first job in like the early 90s. First job out of university. And the till system was interconnected so that when you logged on with your personal logon, there was a little internal email thing and it would leave you a message. Uh, you could type up to six lines. And one very slow Sunday, I was sitting on the desk in the top floor of the shop and my friend was sitting on the bottom floor and we used the email system to write a story. Like I would write a six line thing and I'd send it to him and he'd write a six line thing. What we didn't realize is that each six line thing was time stamped. So when we got in on Monday morning, <laughs> the system had printed out our entire story, which ran like it was really clear that we'd spent all day writing this thing and not doing any work at all. <laughs> um, and that, actually, technically, I wasn't sacked. I wasn't sacked. They, they gave me some sort of terrible ultimatum and I quit. <laughs> But so basically, I was the first one to lose my job. And the reason I know I was the first person is because, you know, this that sort of happened. And it was brilliant, actually, because then I, you know, got me out of working in a bookshop where I got slightly stuck. Uh, and about a year later, there was a story on the six o'clock news about, you know, it was one of those people who'd like forwarded a, a private email from their boss to the entire 3000 company, you know, 3000 company or a global organization. And the report was that this person had been sacked and they were the first person to lose their job for misusing email. And I was like, no, they're not. That was me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If this isn't true, you are a glorious liar. <laughs> Secondly, nouns, verbs, adjectives. So basically you're saying that you're a professional writer, but actually you're not that au fait with the rules of grammar. I'm absolutely terrible at grammar. Yeah. Well, I got the job at the writer. Partly I got the job because they were advertising for a trainer to run writing workshops. And a lot of them were quite creative workshops. But you'd invariably get asked questions about grammar. And I just think, I don't know. And I'd have to go, you know, um, uh, a noun is a a noun is a naming <coughs> word. Uh, a verb is a doing word. An adjective is uh, a describing word. And if, and if they want to know anything else, I'll bollock time. No idea. <laughs> I'm still pretty much the same. You know, I... I I can I can do it now, but it's like you know you don't have to be able to strip an engine to drive a car. Do you know what I mean? Like like my, my yeah. craft is writing. I'm very good at expressing ideas. I'm not good at explaining the nuts and bolts. Okay, do you know what I am? I'm totally buying this one. In that I think I am probably the same. Obviously, I'm not a professional writer, but my kids and they're like. I don't know how old they are, nine, 12, probably. Um, <laughs> they have, and I, this became apparent to me during the, the period of homeschooling during COVID, was that they are learning things to do with grammar that I am sure I was never taught. Yeah, I think uh, that's true. And we're obviously a similar age. I mean, a little bit younger. Um, but <laughs> we're a similar age. And so I'm buying the fact that neither of us at school were taught the way current kids. So there's clearly a yeah. lot of rules to do with grammar that my children understand, but I don't. And frankly, I think if you can, you know, if it makes sense as if you would say it, then that's good enough. So yeah. um, I, think I, have that const I have that constant discussion with my kids. Uh, you know, oh, now I've, I've been told I've got to write a sentence with a fronted adverbial in. Right! And I'm like, you know, well... <laughs> 
Well, uh, I'm a professional writer, and I don't know what one of those was. So you'll probably be fine without it. I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm a terrible homework coach. Because I'm like, no, no, just read it out. Does it sound good? That's right. Okay, so number three is a lovely story, but it already feels like I'm saying it's not true. Um, <laughs> so you were running a workshop about disappointment. They thought you turning up late and disappointing them was just a very clever meta element of the course. A meta move. Um, yes. And, do you know, I'm realising I can't sustain this lie because uh, you are right, it is the lie. Yeah. Um, I knew it! <laughs> yeah. Um, but it came, <laughs> it came out of a discussion with a friend of mine who was writing a book about disappointment. And then, obviously, we ended up sort of like riffing about you know how what what would the launch party look like you just wouldn't turn up <laughs> no food sell no drinks. tickets there wouldn't even be a venue There'd be nothing. <laughs> the people are wandering around uh nick if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance what would that be well obviously my younger self wouldn't listen to a word that i have to say and quite right too but i would tell him it is everything he imagines it to be and more but at the same time, I'm not saying, you know, so you should do it straight away. I think part of the joy of it for me has been when I started being able to uh, work for myself, being slightly older, working at a slightly more senior level has been, you know, a huge part of the pleasure. So uh, it's going to be amazing when it comes, is what I'll say to my younger self. Nick, it's been great chatting to you. Thank you so much. Uh, go to beingfreelance.com. Make sure you click through on the links uh, that you'll find on the show notes for this here episode so that you can find Nick online and all of the things that he is up to, many of which, of course, we've been talking about. Uh, it's an excellent website as well. So, yeah, do go take a look at beingfreelance.com. And, of course, you're not alone being freelance. Come find us in the community. Click the link as well at the website and uh, join freelancers from around the world hanging out on a regular basis. Uh, but for now, Nick, thank you so much and all the best being freelance. Thanks very much, Steve. Cheers. Not where you see yourself as freelance. It's slightly ruining the end there, isn't it? <coughs> Be a company of one, that's fine. <laughs> I'll just change the whole <laughs> podcast around for you. Another season done. Thank you so much for listening and for all of the guests for speaking to me. If you've enjoyed this, please do think about leaving a review. It does make a difference. And also sharing it online. Tag me in. I'm at being freelance on both of those, Instagram and Twitter. Like I mentioned at the beginning, I'm now off for the summer. I've got kids. It's nice to sort of just hang out with them, even at this age they don't really want me to anymore. So I'll be doing that. But I will still be in the Being Freelance community. Like I mentioned, it's at beingfreelance.com. Click the link. But yes, new episodes coming late September. So if you're listening to this as it goes out, I hope you enjoy your summer. If you're in the Northern Hemisphere, your winter. If you're in the Southern Hemisphere. And either way, plenty of ice cream. Uh, I'll see you very soon indeed. Have a great couple of months being freelance.